And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Really pleased to have you uh, stop by, whether you are downloading from iTunes or SoundCloud or Spotify, wherever you're getting your copy of the Pipeline Show from, or for those of you who may be listening to Edmonton Sports Talk, that would make this a Saturday at noon or a Monday evening at 8 p.m. However you are listening to the Pipeline Show, thank you. I really appreciate that I can be a, a little part of your day. The program is brought to you, of course, by our title sponsor, that is Wilhock Beef Jerky. You can't win friends with salad. Wilhock beef jerky is the best beef jerky you have ever had, unless you haven't had it yet, in which case, get out to Leduc or Spruce Grove or West Edmonton Mall, or order it online at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. I have four guests for you today. They're fantastic guests. It's a great lineup. But as always in this opening segment, we get into some news and notes. And this week, we're going to be looking a lot at the NHL Central Scouting preliminary rankings for the uh, 2024 NHL draft. But uh, first, we'll do the top 10 in the CHL and the top 20 in the NCAA uh, via USCHO. The CHL's top 10 continues to be led by the Portland Winterhawks, who are here in Edmonton this weekend, Saturday night. So that may be tonight, if you're listening on Edmonton Sports Talk on Saturday. The Winterhawks have been a juggernaut early in the season. It is definitely going to be a tough game for the Oil Kings, who have been struggling here as of late. You'll hear from a member of the Winterhawks in about 20 minutes. The Halifax Mooseheads come in at number two, followed by the Saskatoon Blades and the Prince George Cougars. The London Knights are at five. Roy Naranda comes in at six. Then it's the Moose Jaw Warriors at seven. That's four WHL teams in the top seven for the CHL right now. The top 10 rounded out by Mississauga, Saginaw, and Bay Como out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Going to skip all the way to the NCAA's top 20, and this came out Monday or Tuesday, so it was coming into this weekend's action. And I, the reason I specify that is because Minnesota, who is ranked number one, actually played last night on Thursday night against the Wisconsin Badgers and lost 5-2. Wisconsin taking down the Golden Gophers. And that was a home game for Minnesota, I believe. So a big loss for Minnesota and a big win for Wisconsin, who were 14th coming into the weekend's action. I remember I was doing the EST Hangout a couple of weeks back, and a listener had texted into the show saying he was going to uh, Minnesota to watch that weekend series. So I hope he or she, I guess I don't know who I don't know who it was, 
But I hope that uh, that weekend series is has been an entertaining one thus far as I'm speaking with you right now. It's only half over. Anyway, so Minnesota was ranked number one. That will probably change. The Denver Pioneers are at two. Boston College is at three. Boston College played a big game against Michigan State on Thursday and beat the Spartans. So there's a good chance Boston College might be moving up and Minnesota might be moving down. In between right now, though, is Denver. So we'll see what happens with the Pioneers. Uh, North Dakota at four, followed by Quinnipiac, Michigan, Providence, Michigan State, Boston University, and Western Michigan is 10th. And you've got the Bulldogs from Minnesota, Duluth, Cornell, who finally gets going this weekend. One of the Ivy schools who uh, always start two or three weeks after everyone else. Well, Cornell gets going this weekend. In fact, they're playing Minnesota, Duluth. So that's number 11 against number 12. Then we have the 4-0 Arizona State Sun Devils. They're ranked 13th. Then, as we mentioned, Wisconsin at 14. Penn State is 15th. Ohio State, Harvard, Northeastern, Massachusetts, and Omaha rounding out the top 20. All right, let's get to NHL Central Scouting's players to watch list for the 2024 NHL Draft. 161 players from the Canadian Hockey League have been identified by NHL Central Scouting, and one in particular who was not that I was really surprised by. I'll mention that in a second. But the Western Hockey League and the Ontario Hockey League leading the way, 63 players each. The USHL is next with 45 players, while the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League has 36 players. Now, maybe you're somebody who goes to the USHL's website often and you're a little confused when I say 45 because according to the USHL's website, they've got 80 players listed. And something we've talked about often here on this show is how that league inflates their numbers thanks to the U.S. National Development Program, and they'll take players who have played one game who are basically playing high school hockey all year, but maybe on a weekend they get called up and get to play for their USHL team, and they include all of those types of players in their numbers as well. Oh, guys who played previously in the league who are now in the NCAA, so sure. There are 80 players with some sort of connection to the USHL past or present or future who have been recognized by NHL Central Scouting, but 45 guys who actually play in the league on a full-time basis. And that does not include the National Development Program because they don't play in the league full-time. And that's why everybody else does not include the National Development Program with their numbers. So the rankings work like this. You get a letter A, B, or C. You get an A rating, you're considered a, uh, a strong candidate to be taken in the first round. A B rating gets you second or third round. A C rating is for fourth or fifth. Then they've added a new one now with a W rating uh, for a late round pick, a sixth or a seventh round guy. Some players maybe that are injured or just haven't been seen a whole lot, they get an LV, so that's a limited viewing. Well, here in uh, the West, in the WHL, six players earned an A rating. Leading the pack for most people would be Berkeley Catton, who plays for the Spokane Chiefs. He's from Saskatoon, but uh, he's been a dominant player, was the first overall pick in the uh, WHL Bantam draft, so no shock there. Some of the other notables, Tanner Howe of the Regina Pats and Caden Lidstrom from the Medicine Hat Tigers. Ryder Ritchie, really talented player with the Prince Albert Raiders. Carter Yakumchuk, defenseman with the Calgary Hitmen. And then look at this, Adam Yako of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Six foot five, two hundred and five pound centerman, also given an A rating. So, hockey fans in the Edmonton area, you've got an A prospect potential first round pick to come watch at Oil Kings games. 
Got off to a great start. Now everybody knows the Oil Kings have been on a bit of a slide here recently, and Yeko very much part of that. He's got 10 points, but it's been four or five games since he hit the score sheet. Two other members of the Oil Kings were uh, included on the list here from Central Scouting. They're both defensemen. Parker Alcos, who was not even drafted by the Oil Kings, a listed player invited to camp in the fall of 2022, and he's, he's had a really, really solid start to this season. Uh, the other player is uh, Reese Peterson, big defenseman, six foot four. I think surprised everybody by playing as much as he did last year as a 16-year-old and is uh, taking a regular shift. He's an everyday player in the WHL now. He was given a W, whereas uh, Alcos was given a C. The player I was surprised didn't get any sort of recognition was Gavin Hodnett. I thought an LV for limited viewing would have been appropriate for him. He's only got a couple of points, but he's also only played five games. That's as I'm speaking with you right now. It's uh, earlier on Friday. The Oil Kings are in Medicine Hat tonight, and they're playing Portland tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on Monday on Edmonton Sports Talk, well, he would have played seven games. And who knows? Maybe he's got a couple of more, more points after the weekend. But coming into this weekend's play, he's got two points in five games. He's a former first-round pick in the WHL Bantam Draft. The knock on him, obviously the size, 5'8 and 155 pounds. But lots of skill, lots of talent. Surprised he doesn't get any sort of recognition from NHL Central Scouting. But I would imagine that is just uh, logs to the fire for him when it comes to motivation. So there were six players from the dub with an A rating. There are five out of the Ontario Hockey League. Three of them are defensemen, Sam Dickinson from London, Henry Muse of the Ottawa 67s, who was on the show uh, last week, Zane Parekh of the Saginaw Spirit, and then you've got a couple of forwards in Liam Greentree from the Windsor Spitfires, and Oshawa Generals forward Beckett Sinek. Might be Sinecki. The Q only has one A-rated player. That would be Maxim Massey, who plays for Shakutami. A couple of uh, players who were given a B rating. But most of the uh, players from the Q are C's and W's, so not a particularly strong year for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Hey, closer to home, there are nine players out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League who uh, were on the list. Brooks Bandits forward Sawyer Logan, who will one day play for the Providence Friars. He was given a C rating. Everybody else, the other eight players, all got W's as a late-round potential picks. Diego Johnson and Ryan Zaremba, both playing for the Sherwood Park Crusaders, made the cut as did Lucas Lemieux, defenseman with the Camrose Kodiaks. Defenseman Easton Adrian plays for the Drumheller Dragons. I know the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, hold his CHL rights, but uh, he looks like he is headed the college route where he will play for RPI. Now, the AJHL is one of nine leagues that fall under the Canadian Junior Hockey League banner, the CJHL, Junior A, if you will. Overall, 15 players from the CJHL were recognized by Central Scouting. Of course, nine of them coming from the AJHL, so that would be most. A couple of St. Mike's buzzers out of the Ontario Junior Hockey League in Jonathan Morello and David Green. A goaltender from the OJHL as well, Sebastian Gatto, who plays for the Leamington Flyers. One player out of the SJHL, one out of the MJHL, but most of the uh, Tier 1 guys are coming from the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Now, the British Columbia Hockey League also has 15 players. So it would have been 30 for the CJHL, except the BCHL has pulled out. And as you know, they are independent now. No A-rated players. They've got one who is a B. That would be Jack Pridham from West Kelowna. Five C-rated prospects, and the rest are potential late-rounders. Three of the guys that the USHL is claiming are actually in the BCHL this year. 
you can see why it can be a little bit, uh, a little self-serving for the USHL to do that. They're not the only league. The North American Hockey League has done it as well. The easiest way to see this is you go to the uh, the list from NHL Central Scouting. It's available through the NHL.com. It ends up being a PDF. You just do a search, and you type in USHL. I'm doing it as we speak. And it says 45 players, not 80, 45. For example, they have William Zellers. He's played one game with Green Bay in his USHL career. It's not even this year. It was last year. And you're telling me that's a USHL player? He's playing at Shattuck St. Mary's. He's been there for three years, including this season. But apparently that's a USHL player. There are five guys in the NCAA who did play in the USHL. Actually, I even have to amend that because Zeev Booyam actually played for the National Development Program. And as I've already said, guys who play for the U-17 and U-18 squad will play games against USHL opponents. But if they play 120 games over those two seasons, uh, less than half of them are against USHL opponents. So they're part-time USHLers at best. However, you could accurately say Macklin Celebrini is a former USHL player. Not this year. He's playing collegiate hockey. He's playing at Boston University. Artem Levshunov, he and Celebrini, both given A ratings. Levshunov plays at Michigan State right now. But he did play last year for Green Bay the whole season. So if you want to say 45 players out of the USHL, but there are also a couple of guys who rank really high who did play full-time in the league last year, that I would understand. Anyway, there are two players who are current full-time members of the USHL who did get A ratings. Uh, Sasha Boisvert, who's Canadian, plays for the Muskegon Lumberjacks, is uh, one, and uh, Trevor Connolly, who is a forward with the Tri-City Storm of the USHL. Both of those guys were given A ratings. Again, I encourage everyone to go to NHL.com, find the list, and you can see for yourself how it breaks down. But I think I've gone on long enough with that. Let's get to the show. There are going to be four guests who join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. As the weather starts to get a little colder, maybe you want to switch from your favorite craft beer to your favorite craft spirit, like an adequate vodka or perhaps an Epitaph barrel-aged gin. Both available at Troubled Monk, as well as all the craft beers you've come to know and love, and a couple of different varieties of hard iced tea and some soda as well. Everything you want, you can find at troubledmonk.com shop, where you can also place your order before you go pick it up at the Tap Room in Red Deer, or at the Farmer's Market in Calgary or Edmonton. But if you're living in one of the outlying cities or smaller towns, go to your local liquor store, and if they don't have it, ask them to bring it in for you. The guest list today, well, we are going to start with a pair of 2024 Draft Spotlight segments. We will begin with Diego Batazzoni, who is one of the top scorers for the Portland Winterhawks. He's only given a C rating by Central Scouting, but I think largely due to his size, not the biggest guy in the world, but a really good interview that I think you're going to enjoy. From there, we go with a player who is ranked number two overall in the entire draft class. His name is Cole Eiserman. No relation to Steve Eiserman, spelled completely different. Cole Eiserman plays for the National Development Program. He will be going to Boston University next season, if he's not in the NHL, that is, but ranked second only to Macklin Celebrini, who, if they're both still playing college hockey next year, they'll be teammates. They were teammates at Shattuck St. Mary a couple of years ago as well. So legitimately two buddies who are ranked number one and number two. 
And from there, Adam Woden from College Hockey News will be my guest. Uh, we'll get his impressions on the first couple of weeks of the College Hockey schedule and what he's looking forward to uh, still to come. And we will close this episode out with Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, who just released his first rankings for the 2024 NHL Draft. Always a treat when Sam is on. And I actually brought up the question to him about why everyone, including he, separates the National Development Program from the USHL. Why everyone other than the USHL seems to do that. And there's a good reason for it. He'll tell you what that is. Before we get going, a reminder that Pro Stock Hockey is your online source for authentic professional equipment, including they just got CCM base layers from the San Diego Gulls of the American Hockey League and the uh, Providence Bruins as well. So if you don't know what base layers are, it'd be like the stuff you wear under your equipment when you play. For more on that, go to ProStockHockey.com. All right, let's get to the show. First up, Diego Butazzoni is in the 2024 draft spotlight. Member of the Portland Winterhawks, he is up first. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, this is Cody Glass from the Portland Winterhawks. Gets the draw. Glass walking towards the net. He scores! First period hat trick. It's natural from Cody Glass. And you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Kings are Edmonton's first choice for family fun. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are back in the thick of it, taking the WHL by storm. And you can be right there cheering them on. Great family entertainment starts at just $20 a seat or never miss a game with season seats as low as $9 per game. Thrilling Western Hockey League action, amazing theme nights, and special price kids food combos at every home game for $10 or less. The entertainment value is king-sized. Secure your seat for the next action-packed, exciting Oil Kings home game today at oilkings.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch. Back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we are going to have a couple of segments this week uh, where we're going to uh, spotlight players who are draft eligible this year in our draft spotlight segment. Uh, but uh, first reminder, The Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it throughout Western Canada, though, by going to their website. That's wilhockbeefturkey.com. We turn on the draft spotlight, and uh, this week we're shining it in the direction of uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, the Portland Winterhawks will be getting uh, on a bus here shortly. Uh, and the Winterhawks will be coming through the WHL Central Division uh, for the next, uh, well, about uh, 10 days or so, starting this coming weekend. And a player that all the scouts will be watching is Diego Budazzoni. Uh, Diego, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you making time like this. And Diego, tell me, uh, I mentioned to the audience that um, we're chatting on Monday. When do you guys actually get on the bus and, and start heading out? Yeah, we head out to uh, Cranbrook tomorrow morning. Actually, we're spending the night there. So we leave tomorrow at like 8 a.m. So yeah, bright and early. So you'll be playing in Red Deer on Friday in Edmonton on Saturday. And then it's like six games in nine days just in the in the Central Division. And I know you got a couple of BC games tacked onto the end of this trip. It's a, it's a pretty lengthy uh, a trip for you guys. Yeah, it's about like 18, 19 days long, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, it's going to be a long one for sure. What do you do for the long bus trips like this? Are you a guy who's watching movies or uh, how do you occupy your time or take up your time? Yeah, I usually download a couple of shows, watch some movies and just talk with 
couple guys on the bus, uh, play some cards or something, just make my time wisely, sleep a lot, to be honest. Yeah. You know, but yeah, usually just talk and watch movies. Is there a series or a, a bunch of movies that you're, you got loaded up already for this trip? Uh, yeah, I'm currently watching Narco, so I'll continue watching that. It's a, it's a good one. I like it. Perfect. All right. Well, the Winterhawks on the ice uh, having a really strong start to the season, an 8-1 and one record, again, as we're chatting right now, uh, with the best winning percentage in the Western Hockey League. You guys are scoring a ton of goals, and you're not getting scored on much at all. I don't think you could have scripted a better start to the year than this, could you? Yeah, I mean, we got a great group this year looking to go for it all, so... I mean, I didn't, I didn't imagine eight and one, but I mean, I know our team could do it. So yeah, we're playing really good, and hopefully, we just keep winning. Well, I think preseason uh, predictions, everybody's uh, picking uh, Portland to be one of the top teams in the Western Hockey League, so it shouldn't really come as a surprise for yourself personally, though. Fifteen points last year as a rookie in the WHL. You got thirteen already. You're almost past your previous season already. Be honest, is is that a bit of a surprise for you? Yeah, honestly, it's. It's a little bit of a surprise, but I also came in this year looking to contribute a lot more and help the team out uh, as much as I could. And obviously playing a way bigger role in the team this year, playing with class and Stefan right now. They're great players to play with. It's a pleasure to share the ice with them. And yeah, it's fun to contribute and win hockey games. A couple of veteran players there to, to have as line mates for sure. And, you know, uh, the, and as you mentioned, a year under your belt, you're getting a lot more responsibility. Uh, has it been an easy transition for you? I mean, from the outside looking in, it certainly looks like it's been simple. Yeah, I mean, obviously you train lots in the summer and stuff and for moments like this, but like I said, a bigger role. So it's it's a lot more fun to play more, obviously, and score lots of goals and, you know, help the team contribute as much as I can. So it, I wouldn't say it's a big jump because it's just, you know, obviously same league, same teams. It's just playing more and then playing the best of my abilities, you know, playing with more confidence, moving the puck more, shooting more, and just, yeah, making good plays. A lot of guys will tell me that in year two, I mean, there's no surprises anymore. You've gone through the league. You've seen all the teams. You know what the road trips are like. So there's a, a lot more you're a lot more comfortable and nothing's going to be a, a big shock to you. Do you see, feel similar to this year? Yeah, exactly. It's like last year, there's a lot of eye openers and stuff, obviously making the jump from midget to the WHL. And you just don't really know what you're doing once you get here to camp and all that stuff. And now coming into my second year, it's just like, you know, you know, around the league quite a bit and you know what to do before games and you know how to like get your routines down and all that stuff, the long warm ups and yeah, it just feels a lot more comfortable this year, though, and it's fun to play with a lot more confidence. Can you think of something that was a, sh- a shock or a surprise for you last year that you hadn't experienced the, to that point in your hockey career? Yeah, well, I would just say, like, making the jump from midget to dub, like, I knew it was going to be hard, but it's just, you know, a lot more quicker and just less time with the puck and less space. You got to know what you're doing before you even get it. Just, I think, honestly, the biggest thing is confidence. Like, last year, uh, I think I could have had it better year but you know like obviously slow uh started slow and just finally when I got that first goal I started playing with more confidence to be honest so yeah it's honestly just make sure you're comfortable and just uh you know play to the best of your abilities and try to transfer your game over to midget to the WHL as best you can well I guess the only thing you haven't experienced yet at the WHL level is this big long road trip that you're going to encounter here in the next step well like you said almost three weeks on the road 18 days how do you prepare for that mentally because i mean you go through the central vision six games in nine days with travel there's not gonna be a lot of time for practice if any 
Uh, how do you kind of balance that and, you know, get your, your rest in there and uh, just kind of stay sharp mentally? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a bit difficult. But last year we took a trip out to Manitoba and that was like two weeks. So True. it's pretty similar to be honest. But uh, yeah, this one's going to be definitely a long one. It's just making sure your body's right, you know, eating healthy, long like warm ups and flushes and stuff like that. And mentally just, you know, being the right state of mind, playing the present. I mean, I would just say like it's a lot of games and a lot of days. So you, you want to make sure your body's going and it's going to, it's going to be a fun one. I love playing lots of games. So it obviously rather play a game than playing a practice. So yeah, I love playing games and I'm, I'm looking forward to the trip for sure. Diego Butazzoni is my guest. He's a uh, draft eligible player, plays for the Portland Winterhawks. And uh, Diego, this part of the show, we like to introduce the audience to somebody who is draft eligible like you are. And uh, the, the Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know about you already. And actually, there's a lot of listeners from the Portland area. A lot of Winterhawk fans seem to tune in, especially when I have Winterhawk guests on. So there'll, there'll be a lot of your fans listening right now. But there'll also be a lot of casual NHL fans who don't care about junior hockey at all will listen to this segment because you're a draft-eligible player. So for the benefit of those people, let's get some background. Uh, where are you from? Yeah, I'm from Langley, British Columbia. I actually grew up in Chilliwack okay. for about seven, eight years until I moved out to Langley to play for uh, Burnaby Winter Club. So I moved a little closer to Burnaby. Uh, do you remember how old you were when you first started playing? Who got you into hockey at a young age, too? Uh, well, my brother also plays hockey. My dad played hockey, so I kind of followed in their footsteps a bit. Uh, so yeah, I'd say my dad and my brother both got me into hockey. It's kind of a lot of people in my family play it. So just take it after my family. And I started playing when I was like three years old. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, I got on ice at a young age. Uh, older brother, right? Mirko? Yeah. He's two years older than me. He's 19 years old. And now he's going the collegiate route, uh, correct? I think he's in Brooks right now playing for the bandits and yeah. off to Clarkson. Yeah. He's in Brooks right now, committed to Clarkson. Yeah. All right, interesting. You guys are going separate paths and forging your own way. That's uh, that's interesting. We could talk about that in a, in a minute uh, as well. Uh, I noticed on your uh, your profile page at Elite Prospects, cousins with Zach Benson. Yeah, yeah, he's my cousin. Uh, interesting. So you guys got to play a little bit against each other last year. Yeah, yeah, just that one game in in Winnipeg. Pretty fun, I imagine, to uh, lace him up against a, a cousin. Yeah, it was pretty fun until he uh, put a hat trick up against <laughs> us. So that wasn't that wasn't very fun to see, but yeah, it was, it was fun to play against him for sure. Yeah, so I guess he's got bragging rights right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, Diego Butazzoni, my guest. Uh, take me back to the Bantam draft and what that experience was like for you, because I know I talked to a lot of players on this show. Some guys were at school, some guys were at home, uh, but everybody's trying to follow along on their phone or whatever. What was draft day like for you? Do you remember? Yeah, I was I was at home that day. Uh, I actually didn't have school that day, so I was just at home on my couch, just with my parents and brother, just sitting there and just you know looking at the website, just waiting for my name called. But I wasn't even uh, sure if I was going to uh, the WHL to be honest, like from the right. start. So I wasn't too worried about what team I would end up at. And uh, obviously, I got drafted by Medicine Hat, so you know I. I I it was kind of out of nowhere that I just heard like uh, Portland wanted to trade for me, and then I just kind of it's kind of eye opener, and then I just you know decided to sign with Portland after they traded for me. Now the draft year was 2021, so you're still playing at the yeah. Burnaby Winter Club that year, and you were there again the following season. Obviously not old enough to play in the WHL as a full time player. Uh, I'm trying to remember when did act did Portland actually acquire your rights? Yes, yeah, so it was uh, 
uh, obviously not this last summer, but two years ago in the summer, I was just uh, on my way to a skate. I was just driving to a summer skate, and then I just got a call from my advisor, and he just said he talked to Mike Johnson, and they wanted to trade for me, and I was like, wow, like that was just out of nowhere. So I just put in some thought and, you know, did some research and found out, like, Portland's a great organization. And even before the draft, I was talking with my advisors and stuff, and they just said nothing but good things to say about it and said if Portland drafts you should probably go there like it's a great organization like they have the most wins in the last 10 years you know they produce great NHL players so yeah it was definitely an eye-opener and I took a look into it and then ended up coming all right so that was after you were done at the Burnaby Winter Club you'd played like a handful of games in the BCHL that same season so it was after that year and before obviously before your first game with Portland so it was that summer at that point, before before the Winterhawks acquired your rights, were you going the college route like your older brother? Yeah, like I was. I was also uh, signed with uh, Coquitlam Express in the BCHL at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was probably going to go to the college route until that happened. So yeah, I was planning on playing the BCHL, and then obviously that happened. Interesting. Well, uh, and I'm guessing at this point, pretty happy with the choice you made. As you mentioned, the Winterhawks were pretty well-regarded uh, organization for getting guys to the next level and having future success. So uh, pretty confident that you, you made the right choice. Yeah, I'm very happy with my choice now. And, you know, it's a great organization here. It's everything's first class. Like when I got here, it's just, it was really great to see like everything they do and how good, like, like even the staff, it's just like all like first class business, and it's like the NHL, like how they treat you and stuff. It's just awesome here, and lots of good guys, good players, and it's just a winning, winning team, winning organization. So I love to be part of that. Diego, uh, you are draft eligible. Um, a lot of guys I ask on the, on this show and during this segment, some guys say they don't think about the draft or they try not to. They don't want it to be become a distraction. There are, are a growing number of players that will tell me they want to know who's got them ranked where, whether it's TSN or Sportsnet or uh, any of those independent scouting agencies out there, central scouting, and they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you, Diego? Yeah, honestly, like I think about the draft a bit and stuff, but I try to put like the rankings and all that stuff aside and just play my game every game I can and help my team win. I mean, I think winning is the most important thing. I want to win the WHL championship obviously this year we got one of the best teams and stuff obviously I want to succeed myself too so I do think about the draft a bit and yeah it's there and it would be a unreal experience to get drafted and you know I've kind of gone through it a bit like draft process with my cousin because I was actually at the draft last year so okay. I know everything about it and he talked to me a lot about it it seems like a great experience and an unreal time so that'd be awesome to get drafted doing everything I can but yeah, I just want to help the team win as much as I could. Well, I guess team success and personal success kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if our team's winning, that that's a, a great sign. Yeah, and if you're having a lot of success, putting up a lot of numbers, the team's probably benefiting from that too. So, yeah, I can understand yeah. that for sure. Uh, speaking of, yeah. your, of your game, you said you just want to focus on playing your game. For those who haven't had a chance to watch the Winterhawks, I finally get to watch you play in person this weekend when you're taking on the Oil Kings. How do you describe yourself as a player? What should should fans or scouts expect to see from Diego Bellazzoni on a on a regular basis? Yeah, I'd say uh, I'm a two way player. I'm playing on the wing right now. I was playing center last year. I could play left wing or center, but you know I got a great shot and try to shoot lots from any angle. Uh, I'd say it made great plays that go to nothing, and I rely a lot on my hockey IQ and my competitiveness. I just always compete, always want the puck on my stick, like. 
if I'm, if I'm, uh, don't have the puck, you know, I'm always doing whatever I can to get it back and always competing as hard as I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, try to try to read plays, you know, hockey IQ, like I said, rely a lot on it and just try to make players, players around me better, you know, make good plays for them and hopefully they can finish. Do you see yourself more as a setup guy, a playmaker or a shooter? Uh, I would say a shooter, you know, right now I'm having success scoring. So definitely uh, right now I'm, I'm a shooter. Like obviously if it's a two on one and the guy's open, I'll, I'll dish him. But yeah, I'm looking shot first. Uh, the uh, website, the WHL's website lists you at 5'9 and 183 pounds. I don't know if that's uh, up to date. Uh, what are you at right now? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, well, your cousin Zach obviously having a lot of success, and he's not that big either, so it's obviously not something that is uh, necessarily going to preclude somebody from having success as a professional hockey player. How do you get around not being 6'2 and 210? Yeah, I would just say, uh, like I said, my compete, you know, like if you look at Zach, all he does is compete and you know win this puck battle so i think as a small guy just do whatever i can to get that puck and just protect it uh i mean i'm a pretty stocky guy 180 pounds so you know use my body to protect the puck protect the puck and you know just keep my feet moving compete win my puck battles you know win wall battles and yeah i I think i'll be good this might not be a fair question i mean he's your cousin i'm sure you get asked it all the time but do you see similarities between the, the way you and zach play yeah i would say there's definitely a couple things i mean he's obviously a great player and put up 100 points in this league last year so it's hard hard to compare but you know he is my cousin i i honestly do uh look up to him you know he's 13th overall he's unreal player succeeding in any nhl right now actually mm-hmm. so I, I try to yeah do a couple things he does and you know he teaches me a couple things to to add to my game so yeah i appreciate him Diego, it can't be uh, hockey 24 hours a day, uh, 12 months of the year. What do you do when you're not playing or, or working out with hockey in mind? What do you like to do to kind of get away from the game? Yeah, I'm a really athletic guy, so usually I'm just playing other sports, to be honest, like playing golf. You know, I play tennis lots here, and you know, uh, like even ping pong at a ping pong table at home, play with my brother lots. Hmm. I'd say just a, just a sporty guy, though, you know, golf, ping pong, tennis, uh, basketball with some friends, just yeah, mostly sports, though. Whenever I get a golfer on, I ask them what their favorite course is. Uh, one immediately come to mind for you? Uh, I haven't really gone to any uh, courses like out of the province, to be honest, like nice courses. But I'd just say probably uh, just ones close to my house, just that I've gone to a lot. It's like Belmont. It's not you like people probably haven't even heard of it but it's just <laughs> yeah close close to my house easy to get to just go to the same ones usually a lot perfect uh lastly diego I, we were talking about this before we started uh, i was curious you know with teammates they can be uh you know funny guys they can be a little cruel sometimes with a last name like Butazoni, i'm wondering what the nickname is and again keep in mind this is coming from a guy whose name is gee flaming and you know, call display would look like it's flaming guy calling somebody. So I, I say this sort of in jest, but uh, what do they, what do the guys call you, Diego? Yeah, coming into Portland, my nickname was usually Butters, like everywhere, like my coaches and everyone called me Butters and Butter. And when I came to Portland, they just started calling me Buddha and like Butta. That's that's usually what they call me here, Buddha. Like I've never heard that one before until I got here. So yeah, it's a new one, but I mean, I don't mind it. And yeah, it's usually what the guys call me. Seems to be working for you. Well, uh, Diego, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best luck the rest of the way this season. And uh, maybe we'll run into each other on Saturday when you're in uh, taking on the Oil Kings. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate having me on. Heck of a start to the season for the Portland Winterhawks and Diego Butazoni. 
I appreciate him making time before uh, climbing on the bus to come out east here into Alberta. It's going to be a lengthy trip. I did forget, though, that the Winterhawks obviously would have done the same trip, but to uh, uh, Winnipeg and Brandon and all the teams in Saskatchewan last year. So not exactly a stranger to the uh, long-distance uh, trip. Man, I was made me think, though, of, of the guys in the OHL who spend like 10 nights a year in hotels. These guys are about to do 17, 18, 19 days in a row on a single trip. Just night and day difference, isn't it, between the WHL and the OHL? And also had to ask him about the nickname. We talked about it uh, a bit before we started. And I said it was because, you know, my name obviously is a little unusual. In fact, I remember this is, this is a true story. When I first started dating my wife and I had called the house, her older sister had answered the phone. And, of course, it was back in the late 90s when it's before cell phones and people would actually have, like, call display on their rotary phone at home. And it would come up, Flaming Guy. And my sister-in-law, Krista, was like, oh, my God, where are you? Thought I was a male stripper. That was her first guess. That's a true story. All right, we're going to continue with the uh, 2024 draft spotlight. Up next, a uh, a big name for the upcoming draft, a guy who is probably going to go in the top three this year. He's ranked number two by pretty much everybody right now, but at some point you know he's going to be ranked number one. His name is Cole Eiserman. He plays for the National Development Program with the U18 squad, and I'm happy to say he joins me next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, this is Jack Rosovic from the U18 national team. Clayton Keller. Hey, this is JC Comfer. Hey, it's Joel Farabee from Team USA. Hi, I'm Hudson Fashing. Hi, it's Brady Shea. Hey, this is John Gibson from Team USA. This is Jordan Greenway. This is Matias Samuelson. Hey, this is Sonny Milano from the US NTDP. This is Oliver Wallstrom. Hi, this is Alex Tuck. This is Ryan Lindgren. Hi, I'm Steven Santini, and I play for the U18 national team. How's it going? Kate Fitzgerald with the national team. Hey, it's Austin Matthews. Hi, this is Jacob Truba from the USA Under-18 national team development program, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. I race through the crowded stadium with sweat pouring a glass of crisp cold beer refreshes my webpage, but the computer crashes into another car who instinctively grabs the release on my chute and hits the bedside alarm. Apparently, it's time to wake up. Ignite imagination. Advertising on the Pipeline Show works. Who listens to the Pipeline Show? People like you. Share the story of your business with targeted customers. Contact Guy directly at Guy at thepipelineshow.com. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're going to keep the uh, draft spotlight turned on, and uh, this segment we're going to be going to the U.S. National Development Program. Quick reminder, though, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. It's Alberta's best. You can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website at wilhockbeefturkey.com. Uh, one of the guys that's uh, on the top of the list for everybody out there, all the scouts will be watching him as they do always for the U.S. National Development Program. But uh, this year, no exception, uh, Cole Eiserman uh, from Team USA and the U18 squad. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, Cole. Great to talk to you. How are things? Things are great. You know, just, uh, just a, lot of, a lot of hockey time and uh, things have been good. Well, I appreciate you making time like this. I, I'm sure you're getting swamped with requests. Uh, this This is... This is something you've been looking forward to, I'm sure, for a long time, though, your NHL draft season. 
Uh, maybe just let's we'll start with the team and and how things are going so far this year for for the rest of the guys and and uh, how you felt about the start of the season for your club. Yeah, no, everything's uh, gone pretty pretty smoothly so far. Um, obviously, it's a it's a tough year this year. The 18s were playing, you know, half USHL, half colleges, so the, mm-hmm. the college games are a little different. And, um, but I think we've uh, adapted, and it's we've we've learned a lot about our teams. Obviously, um, we're trying to get to the end goal and U18 Worlds and. That's, a, that's what we play for, so we're just kind of little by little getting better, so it's gone pretty good so far. You just played a, a slew of uh, NCAA opponents uh, over the course of October, basically, against Western Michigan, 9-4 loss, but then you come come back and you, you, you trounce Boston University 8-2 and then take mm-hmm. it on the chin against Dartmouth 7-2, so it's mm-hmm. it seems like uh, you're having some some real good success one night and then maybe get brought down to earth uh, the next night. Those games against the collegiate teams, though, those have got to be really challenging. Yeah, they are. Um, obviously, all teams play different styles. So um, for us, as we're younger guys, we, we haven't really uh, got that um, type of, um, you know, playing style yet of the different teams and how to adapt. So we're just trying to adapt to that stuff. And But um, overall, it's been it's been good learning and um, all fun. Real advantage, though, being part of the program where you get to play against college teams. Teams are made up of 19 to 24-year-olds, and that's something you can't get anywhere yeah. else. For sure, yeah, it's definitely a cool experience. Pretty sweet uh, that game against Boston University, though. I, I know you obviously have ties to to BU for next season, uh, but to come out ahead like that eight to two that that must have been pretty fun. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was a it was a good time and um, a lot of family there, so it was fun. Cool uh, for yourself on a personal level this year. I mean, you're out of the gate uh, putting up a ton of points. Uh, I don't think you could have scripted a better start for yourself, could you? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe a little more wins in the in the college games or whatever. But um, other than that, I think it's gone uh, pretty pretty well. But a lot to do so far. So I like that answer because it seems like you're putting team ahead of personal success. They kind of go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, if the team's doing well, it's you're probably playing pretty well too, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Obviously, uh, the team is a uh, very important. It's a it's not a um you know individual game, and um the team um is 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 the most important thing and um when they're doing well um it helps you know me play well and obviously other guys too cole eiserman my guest playing for the u.s national development program you talked about the schedule where you play a bunch of ushl opponents a a lot of uh, ncaa opponents and then you have the international games and you'll be doing that here uh, fairly soon going over to finland Uh, i am assuming you're looking forward to that yes it'll be uh be a fun time um obviously going overseas playing against other countries is is really important and uh, be a lot of fun when you have those three different sort of a, a opponents the the ushl guys the collegiate uh, teams uh, and the international games do you have a preference which mm-hmm. one do you kind of get up for more um i think i think overall i mean the guys think it's just it's a little it's a little more important once you're playing against other countries just because um you know your our country obviously uh the united states for us is, is very important to us and we uh want to show everyone we're the best and um, so I think for those those games are really important against other countries, but um, we get we kind of get amped for all of them. So, all right, Cole, the pipeline shows a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know about the program and how it works, and they'll they'll already know uh, about you, I'm sure. But there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who listen to a segment like this just because it's a draft spotlight segment. They might not care about junior hockey or college hockey at all. Uh, so, for the benefit of that portion of uh, the audience that might be listening. Let's get some background, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up uh, in Newburyport, Massachusetts. It's a it's a great great town. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of hockey and um, a lot of great people. Well, I, I can see that when I look at your uh, pr- uh, profile page at EliteProspects.com, 
uh, hockey seems to run in your blood because you got father and oh, brothers yeah. and uncles and cousins. I mean, so it's no surprise that you grew up playing hockey. How old were you when you first started? I mean, I, I started, I mean, I think right as I was able to even, uh, you know, put on the skates and, you know, <laughs> skate kind of, kind of well. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, you know, I, was, I had a mini hockey stick in my hand when I could walk and even when I could crawl, basically. So it was, it was just kind of just, you know, brought into my blood and I didn't really know anything else but hockey growing up. So you're a forward now. Have you always been a forward or do you try other positions along the way? Oh yeah, no, I was always a forward. I, I never, uh. I think I played goalie once, like for my town team, but right. that didn't go out too well. But um, yeah, no, I've always enjoyed scoring. It's my kind of been my thing ever since I've uh, obviously been able to play hockey. So I just kind of always been a forward and um, enjoyed that. It's funny. I think every player I talk to says at one point they had to put the pads on. You might have been yeah, seven or eight years old or something like that. But uh, for you, it was a memorable experience, but in a bad way. <laughs> it, it was. It was all right. I think I. I, th- I think it was itching to you know go out there and try to try to score something but it was it was it was fun i enjoyed it while it lasted uh tell me about your experience at shattuck uh, st mary's in in minnesota because uh your numbers there are just unbelievable 154 points in 54 games or in 50 games your first year there and even 86 the next year going up a level to to the u18 squad those are really impressive numbers yeah no it was it was a lot of fun i was i was fortunate to uh be with a lot of great players and uh you know enjoy uh, my time with them and kind of developed there so it was it was fun i think everybody knows you were teammates with macklin celebrini then and mm-hmm. the two of you are going to be taken extremely early in the nhl draft every year we kind of hear about guys how they get along the, the, the top prospects i mean it's legit for you guys i mean you guys are former teammates if he's there next year you'll be teammates again uh, what's that relationship like between you and mac yeah i know it's uh it's awesome. Um, I talk to him every day and it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's a brotherhood. And, um, I, I, I obviously, I really enjoy seeing him when I can and, um, really happy for him. Friendly competition? Like even back at Shattuck, were you guys competitive for who's going to have more goals or points or anything like that? And has that continued on? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was ever statistically wise, but it was just kind of always competing in practice and, um, kind of everything we did was, you know, competitive, whether it was Xbox or, you know, basketball or whatever. So it was, it was, it was kind of it was it was a lot of brotherhood and um, kind of how you you uh, do stuff with your siblings and how you always want to win. So it's it's one of those things. So it's cool. Who was better at Xbox or basketball? Were I mean, were you guys really neck and neck in everything, or did you dominate it at some aspect? Uh, I'd probably say basketball. I had the edge on him. Um, over time, he's gotten better at Xbox, but he's he's a pretty good soccer player, so he always had me in that. Oh, that's great. Uh, now, BU. Uh, I know originally it was supposed to be Minnesota for you, and then you changed fairly recently here in the last month or two. Can I ask mm-hmm. what what led to that decision? Just being home, um, being closer to family. That was that was the only reason. So it was, uh, um, you know, just one of those things where my family wanted me to be home, um, and I, you know, I I took their thought and went over it, and um, I think it would be important for me to be home. So that that, that was the that was the uh, idea behind it. Cole Eiserman is my guest forward with the with Team USA and the U18 squad. Uh, this year, right now, the sheet I'm looking at says the 23 points in 11 games. 18 of those are goals. Do you consider yourself more of a shooter? I mean, that's a, a big imbalance between goals and assists. Or are you just the guy that everybody's feeding the puck to? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I think I've always kind of just been a shooter and um, enjoyed shooting the puck and always enjoyed scoring. So I, I definitely say I'm a shooter. Is the draft something that you spend a lot of time thinking about? You're in a semi-unique position because 
whether you're going to get drafted is not a question. It's just when. So there's a little less pressure in that regard. But do you still think about the draft often? Uh, I mean, it obviously comes up a lot, but um, I think just in, in, in general that I'm trying not to think about it just too much and trying to think about the team and um, day-to-day process here at the at the NCDP and just kind of trying to get better day by day. Sheet I'm looking at says six foot, 196 pounds. I don't know if that was the start of this year or the end of last year. What are you at right now? Yeah, it's a, I'm probably at the same I'm the same thing. It was at the beginning of last year. All right. Do you think you're you're done growing taller or do you still have a little bit of growth left? Couldn't tell you. I have no <laughs> idea. Um maybe I have a little bit left. My brothers are all taller than me right now, so um maybe I do, maybe I don't, but I have no idea. Away from hockey, it can't be hockey all the time. What do you like to do to, to kinda unwind or or do you play other sports in the off season? What do you like to do? Yeah, I mean I think during the season it's kinda just all hockey and sure. Um, but, um, summertime, you know, I like to go out and fish with my dad and kind of, um, you know, play tennis with my, my brothers and obviously golf is a pretty big thing in the hockey world. So kind of playing golf, um, pretty consistently and, um, you know, just basically just kind of enjoying time with my family and cause I, I'm gone from them, um, most of the year. So it's, it's awesome kind of just being around them and, um, you know, swimming, uh, at the beach and, you know, do that stuff kind of just with normal people do on um, the summer so it's awesome golfing and fishing that seems to be a pretty popular choice for uh for hockey players it seems like oh yeah it's kind of it's, it's a relaxing thing that kind of gets your mind off of stuff and kind of just uh brings you back to reality so it's good what's your favorite golf course doesn't I, doesn't have to be one that everyone's heard of yeah um i don't know i probably just probably just my local course in my town just kind of you know, playing there, just kind of where I started playing. And there you go. I don't know. My, it's one of those close ones where, um, always being able to get to, and you start to, you know, know people there. So it always makes it more, more and more fun once you get to see, you know, your buddies and, um, just, you know, local, local people around. So, and when you're fishing, what are you going after? I try to go out to the largemouth bass, but those, those, those things are pretty tough sometimes, but hmm. usually that. Uh, favorite hockey team growing up? Boston Bruins, yeah, and I was kind of local team, so it was just always my favorite growing up. Anyone in particular with the Bruins or elsewhere in the league? Some guys, it's not necessarily a team they're cheering for, but they'll follow individual players. Uh, was there a guy that you kind of looked to and said, I, maybe you have some similar traits? I can pattern my game a little bit after that guy. Yeah, I mean, my growing up, I was always a, a huge Crosby fan. Um, I never, I never really played like him, but. Um, always just loved how he just, you know, loves the game and um, how, how he competes on and off the ice. So I think it's just one of those things that kind of caught my eye to him. But um, I've always, you know, even when it was crybaby uh, Crosby, I'd always kind of <laughs> always have his back. So was that part of the reason you went to Shattuck? Ah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, obviously it's a lot of great players that have been through that program. So sure. I uh, obviously saw that as a uh, pretty cool thing and, um, you know, gave it a chance and I ended up loving it. So. Well, listen, Cole, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for taking a, a little bit here to uh, join me on the Pipeline Show. Best of luck the rest of the way with Team USA and whatever happens at the draft. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. There was Cole Iserman from Team USA, the U18 squad. He will not have to wait long on draft day to hear his name being called. That is for sure. Right now, everybody, every ranking that I've seen has him ranked number two behind Macklin Celebrini. But you know at some point this year, he's going to be putting up massive numbers at the program, and someone, somewhere, will put him number one. And by all accounts, it's really tight anyway, so that's it's not like that would be a something that somebody does just to get some attention for their uh, ranking outlet. That could be legit. We could see Eisenman go number one. 
Now, Macklin Celebrini's got off to a really good start at Boston University as well, but both of these guys, super talented and legitimately good friends. You know, we go back to Taylor and Tyler and uh, other years where it's like, it seems like media is almost looking for conflict. You know, do you hate the guy that you're uh, running against to be the number one overall pick? Just, no, no, he's a good guy. I like him. We get along well, blah, blah, blah. This year, it really does seem legit that these are two, they're two buddies. Says he talks to Macklin Celebrini every day. Now, Eisenman's going to go to BU next year. Will Celebrini still be there? He might be playing in the NHL next year. Or maybe he's one of those guys who does go and stays for two years and then goes. And then these guys could be teammates again next year with the Terriers. Don't know. Maybe if I'm able to get uh, Celebrini on the show, maybe that's a question we can ask him. And I should say it was a shorter interview here that you're hearing with Eiserman. Uh, there was a lot of background noise where he was. I think he was. I think he was still at the rink or the practice facility, or maybe around the locker room or the gym, uh, because uh, you could hear a lot of guys in the background. I was able to edit a lot of it out, so what you heard were the portions that I was able to save of the interview. There were probably two or three more minutes. I just couldn't use. The background noise from his end while I'm talking, I could edit that out. The background noise on his end while he's talking, I couldn't. So there were two or three answers I just had to delete completely. Uh, so there were some subjects that I wanted to get to in the interview that uh, that I didn't. And part of it, I got the sense that he, he needed to go. He, he didn't have uh, as much time. We started a little later than we had planned to, so he might have been running up against the clock as well. But I would have liked to talk to him about... Uh, playing a lot with the U18s last year and at the World U18 Championship. Also a guy who played in the Brick Tournament here in Edmonton, which is a peewee event. He was playing for the Boston Junior Bruins back in 2015-16, had seven points in six games at the Brick Tournament. I would have liked to have asked him about that as well. Maybe next time. In our next segment, we're going to get caught up on uh, what's happening around college hockey through the eyes of Adam Woden. He is the managing editor for College Hockey News, we're going to cover a lot of ground in that segment, and we'll do that next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Sean takes a look. Ashad oh, takes a look. my! And it's deflected in by Ryan Paling. Ashad spotted him, set him up for the redirect, and it's now 4-1 St. Cloud State. Hey, it's Ryan Palin from St. Cloud State University, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I used to be able to throw a pigskin four miles. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, brought to you, of course, by Wilhock Beef Jerky. But this is a NCAA campus report segment, uh, which means it's our uh, thanks to our good friends at College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, there are things you need to know, what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility. So get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew 
at College Hockey Inc. And they can answer any questions that you might have. And now we're going to go to College Hockey News, and the managing uh, editor is Adam Woden. Uh, Adam, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Sir, all good. Always always glad to be with you. Well, I appreciate you making time like this. And this the start of this season has been interesting from, from my perspective because some of the teams we are told should be dominant uh, this year have struggled early on. And the first one that comes to mind is Boston University. They got a win, but they haven't looked great necessarily this year. Is that a surprise to you? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. And, you know, this season has already been loaded with a lot of interesting moments, and I don't expect that to stop anytime soon. But as far as BU is concerned, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's easy to forget that last year they had a lot of the same issues. And you see that all came together in a, a Frozen Four appearance. So, you know, of course, last year it took some time because Jay Pendolfo was putting in his system, and maybe you wouldn't think that would happen this year. But Certainly not time to hit the panic button yet. Um, they, you know, bounced back against Notre Dame after losing 4-1 Friday last week and then won 8-2. They had a very similar weekend last year against Michigan. Hmm. People remember where they got trounced the first night and then came back and beat them the second night. So, you know, I, it, I'm not going to worry yet. I mean, this week coming up, they're playing UMass home and home, so that's not going to be easy. Then they got North Dakota <laughs> at home for a couple games. So, you know, they're challenging themselves, which is good. And, and Lane Hudson uh, got hurt last weekend, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure what his status is right now. And so that doesn't help. But um, I'm also, you know, I still have a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude on their goaltending situation. I mean, obviously, uh, Matthew Caron coming over from Brown has been the guy, and he, and he played a pretty good game against Notre Dame on Saturday. But other than that, it's been like, eh, like up and down, not quite sure. And, you know, those transfers from so-called lesser schools like schools where like a goalie got peppered with shots because their team in front of them wasn't very good Mm -hmm. and they stood on their head they're all all often very attractive to the bigger teams but it's it's kind of 50 50 historically as to whether it works out or not so you know knowing nothing about like the day-to-day um you know not breaking down video of Matthew Caron I'm just saying like it's no guarantee that uh that's going to work out it didn't work out last year for North Dakota and this year so far it is working out for North Dakota so I'm, I'm sort of have a wait and see approach. I didn't think he looked great. Let's put it that way in the games that I watched, but I did not see the Notre Dame game. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, and of course, more of Macklin Celebrini as well. Yes, well, he's been terrific. But I mean, just looking at their schedule, I mean, they got a win against Bentley, but they needed overtime. That almost feels like a loss. Yeah, uh, that you uh, needed overtime to beat Bentley when you're considered to be one of, if not the top team coming into the season, and then then they uh, had some losses. New Hampshire, Notre Dame, and the, the U18s, uh, but I mean that's not really a. I'm not sure what how you, what you consider an 8-2 yeah. loss to the U18s because sort of I don't know either. It's an exhibition, <laughs> so we'll just throw that one away. But then they get that dominant 8-2 victory against Notre Dame after taking a loss, and maybe they've they started to turn things around. But I know you're not big on polls in general, and really the yeah. only poll that matters is the pairwise. They're 39th right now on the pairwise. Is it too early yeah. in the season to, to to panic about that though? Yeah, you have to throw that out for sure. I, I don't. I it's funny because I always say to people that by the end of November the pairwise is pretty, pretty stable okay. mathematically speaking. But even I can't say that at this point of October it's time yet to look at that because just the mathematics. I mean, it's just kind of weird. Um, so until you've got you know uh, ten at least ten fifteen games under your belt and uh, the Ivies all start playing, 
then yeah, I'm not, I'm going to dismiss that. But you know, again, going back to last year though, they lost the U.S. under 18 team last year too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, that one was was a closer game. But it, yeah, throw it out because it's an exhibition. But that did turn a lot of heads. Um, Cornell just beat the under 18s five four in overtime this past weekend. So you know, and you know, and Dartmouth beat the under 18. So I, you yeah. know, I don't think you can completely throw that out. I mean, there was definitely some. Um, train wreck defense going on those few games uh for BU so they've got to get that in gear but like I said they got it in gear last year so I don't think any BU fan should panic yet but um certainly something to keep an eye on but, and also interesting with Notre Dame is that you know that that Saturday result or even the whole weekend didn't really surprise me because just like BU last year was like this in a lot of ways Notre Dame last year was like this they they I think they went the entire season until like end of March without winning back-to-back games on a weekend. Mm. So they had this amazing Jekyll, and they also played a tough schedule, so they were on the cusp of the NCAAs while basically being 500, but all year long, it was like, win one, lose one, win one, lose the whole year. So it's uh, kind of not surprising from Notre Dame's perspective either. Alright, so for it, we shouldn't be, I guess I'm a little surprised with BU's slow start, but overall I guess it's too early to panic. On the other side, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers are playing some pretty uh, terrific hockey. I know they they split this past weekend uh, in a uh, pretty interesting series against North Dakota. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the the Golden Gophers out of the gate? Yeah, I mean, not, it, I mean, there's nothing wrong with splitting at North Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, when you when you talk to everybody after the game on Saturday, they're like, "Oh, we didn't do this, we didn't do that." And some of the players are like, "Oh, we have to have full weekends." But like, you know, there's a team on the other side too, and. It's North Dakota, and they're they're set up to have a pretty good year. The crowd was going crazy, of course. So it's really no shame in uh, you know losing two to one on the road there, and it's not going to hurt them. Um, you know, the week before they played St. Thomas, they uh, were taken to overtime the first night. It's it's there's so many of these questions like New Hampshire, for example, beat BU, they beat Quinnipiac in overtime. Uh, they also lost to Quinnipiac. Like, what is New Hampshire like? Do did BU and Quinnipiac have lousy starts, and that's why? Or, or is New Hampshire better than we thought? And then same thing with St. Thomas. Like, I think they're improved. Are they that improved? I don't know. Or did Minnesota just have a bad night? So, right. you know, it's like too early to tell. I think all these questions are going to be answered over the next few weeks, probably. But uh, that's what I mean about there being so much intrigue here early in the season. Because I am looking forward to seeing like what is St. Thomas? Like, you know, what is is North Dakota with Ludwig Pearson going to stand up? Uh, you know, I, I've had people at Minnesota say, "Oh, this team is better than last year's team." That's what they like. I don't know. I don't know if that's like sort of trying to talk themselves into like yeah. consolation that they lost Logan Cooley at the last minute or or, or what. But um, but that's you know that's what some people feel because they're deeper and this that and the other thing and you know they're not going to just be one li- one line dependent and so on. And you know, Justin Close is back for his grad year as a goaltender. Um, they have some, some older guys who stuck around, which is unusual for them, like as 50 years, like Jackson Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll see, like, is that true? Like I said, is that wishful thinking or is that true? Um, the big 10 is so, you know, I, I'm not ready to be the boy who cried wolf. Well, last year, a lot of people are freaking out because the, the big 10 had some, you know, ridiculous wins in the NCAAs and, uh, when sent, uh, was it two teams to the frozen four and, and, uh, of course wound up, you know, Quinnipiac wound up beating all of them along the way. So um, I'm not one of these, oh, sky is falling yet as far as the Big Ten dominance, but it is true for sure that top to bottom, I mean, it's pretty tough. And so night in, night out, it's going to be a test for, for Minnesota. Um, you know, just 
just in the course of their regular schedule, which they haven't even gotten to yet. They'll play Wisconsin for a couple games this weekend, which is another interesting storyline. I don't know if we right. get into that as well. Well, let's get to that in a second, but I want to go back with the comment that Minnesota is deeper and better than they were last year. Is that possible when they don't have Cooley, they don't have Nyes, they don't have Brock Faber on the back end? How can it be better? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't think. But maybe maybe it looks deeper because the four lines are more even, but it doesn't mean that they're better, right? Right. So, but, you know, Jimmy Snuggerud, I think the question for him coming in was, like, how is he going to be without Matthew Nyes and Logan Cooley on his line? And sure. So far, he's been phenomenal. So you can't, you know, I mean, he's got Oliver Moore there playing with him at, at center. So he, but he hasn't lost a beat, right? So it's, it, you know, his success last year, you can't say was driven by his line mates entirely. Obviously they help, but it's not like, uh, he's chopped liver. So, yeah. so that's pretty good. And you're right though. The defense is where it's, uh, but they did that plenty coming back still. I mean, obviously lost some pretty big names. Um, but they, they, they were so deep last year that they're, they're fine defensively and just in close in net. And, you know, I, I'm not too worried about them. Um, you know, someone asked me like, what's the difference between Boston college and, and uh, Minnesota, uh, this year with all the, the blue chippers BC has, but the difference is defensively. I mean, it's BC is still not anywhere near the level Minnesota is defensively, even with the loss of Faber and Lacombe and whatnot. You mentioned Wisconsin. Let's go to the Badgers and what intrigues you about that matchup and maybe the just the story overall with Wisconsin because I'm still trying to figure them out with a new head coach and so many new players. I don't know if we know yet what the Badgers are. Well, it's that's again, you know, there's so many of these questions that are so interesting. You start out, you know, the, the season starts and you're like, you know, in other sports or like pro sports, like, oh, the season, you know, gets kind of a casual start. It ramps up. I mean, college hockey, you're thrown, boom, right into these non-conference games with major importance and trying to figure out, like, who's on the roster and who mm-hmm. left. Um, so, but Wisconsin, yeah, you know what? The thing is, they did, they brought in a lot of new players, but there's also a lot from, I mean, there's one thing you cannot say negatively about the Tony Granado regime is that, uh, I mean, he brought in good players, right? Um, they, they were recruiting fine, really, over the last few years. It just never came together in any sort of cohesiveness. But there's players there. So I, I don't think anyone doubted that Mike Hastings was going to come in there and, you know, kind of right the ship. I, I don't think anyone expected it to be as quick. as, And I'm not going to you know, put too much stock in the fact they've beaten Augustano. Okay. It's a first year program, mm-hmm. the Midgey in overtime, Michigan tech, a couple nice wins there on the road. And you know, they lost to North Dakota. Well, they played very well in that game and Ludwig Pearson, I thought stole the game for North Dakota, or at least, you know, gave them a much better chance to win. So, but just watching them play, it's like night and day. It really, I mean, I, I don't profess to be like the X's and O's guru, but I, I know enough that I can like watch a game and like, Hmm, I mean, <laughs> just the way, it, because it's such a stark difference. And I really, I'm, I hate to say it cause you know, Tony Granato is one of the nicest guys in hockey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by, but by saying this, I'm sort of criticizing him, but um, the fact of the matter is it really is just, it, it it's very similar to last year with, uh, with BU. Uh, and again, honestly, no matter, I, yeah, there's no way to say this without sounding like you're criticizing the previous regime, but there was a very noticeable difference in structure, even for a layman like me to see the way Pandolfo had his team playing versus the previous regime. And the same goes here for Mike Hastings. So, you know, they're five and one. Is it, 
you know, are they going to be 30 and five? No, but they might be better more quickly than a lot of people thought. And it would not shock me. I, I know I'm, I'm sort of reassessing as we go, but I even, you know, I had them, I think I had them like uh fifth in the league prior to the season. I'm thinking maybe even third isn't out of the question okay. right now for Wisconsin out of the seven teams in the league. He's Adam Woden from College Hockey News, my guest, as we uh, discuss a little university hockey. And I, one of the teams that's struggled early on that I didn't expect, you kind of mentioned them briefly, Michigan Tech. I, I thought I think everybody's picking them to be the, the best team in the CCHA this year. They're five games into the season. They don't have a victory yet. Uh, and I'm wondering what the if there's a, if there's a problem there. Uh, I know. Didn't they get Austin Swankler from uh, Bowling Green? Yeah. I, I don't think he's well, played he's not a game playing yet. yet. He, well, you know, Austin Swankler was involved with. God only knows the entire true story, but he decided to transfer very just as the season was starting because of something going on at Bowling Green. There yep. was a hazing allegation and yada yada yada. I'm sure you've talked about that before, but um, so he's not eligible because I mean the, the school year had already started. Um, when he transferred, so he can't even play this first year. Okay. This, fir- this first semester. He'll, he should be able to play, like, at the end of December uh, when the semester actually ends. So, we'll, you know, that's going to be a big boost, obviously. But mm-hmm. uh, you're right. I mean, they were anointed the heir apparent with uh, Minnesota State seemingly out of the picture uh, with all the losses they had. Like, oh, Michigan State's going to roll, you know, maybe Northern Michigan. But, um yeah, I don't. I mean, I I know that uh, Joe Sean, their head coach, has talked about them being young and whatnot when he's been interviewed, but they're not that young. I mean, they have plenty of guys who came back. Uh, they have the goaltender, obviously Blake Pietala. Mm-hmm. His numbers have been a shadow of uh, last year's at nine oh four save percentage right now. It's obviously not all him. It's uh, but I. I, I don't. I've only seen one of their games, so I mean, I can't say for sure what's going on. But I don't buy the idea that's because they're young. Let's put it that way. They they should be. You, you'd you'd figure that once they get back into the league play, maybe things will settle down. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they maybe their players got complacent because they thought they would roll this year. You know. So um, we'll see if they can whip it into shape. They go on the road to the North Country of New York. This week and uh, another tough weekend to try to pull together. So uh, it could get away from them fast, but uh, the league, you know, the league games haven't even started yet. So right. I guess uh, I guess we have, we have if they have time to figure it out. I don't know what's going to happen in that league. I mean, if if they're not dominant, and uh, you know, Michigan, Northern Michigan's also winless. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so um, when you look at it. Uh, you know, St. Thomas, honestly, and Minnesota State have been the best two teams I've seen so far out of the league. So whether that continues, I don't know. But, uh, I, you know, St. Thomas really is coming along. I mean, I have a great respect for Rico Blasi, their head coach. Uh, you know, I watched the uh, Michigan game last weekend against Ohio State with uh, Josh, Josh Ernesti, who mm-hmm. transferred from St. Thomas to Michigan. And uh, if uh, if – if you recall, we had a story over the summer about how the St. Thomas assistant coach and Michigan assistant coach got into a little scuffle. Yes, uh, down in uh, because there was accusations in Michigan, you know, poaching. I mean, nowadays it's kind of a free for all. It's hard to really argue, but you know, St. Thomas was kind of pretty upset that Ernesti. They thought they had a good diamond in the rough there, and that he transferred to Michigan sort of out of the blue. And uh, you know, he is an outstanding player. I can see why that they they were upset they lost them, but. Uh, so if they had him, I mean, I, don't know, I think they're ready to take a leap even without him. 
Um, so that they're going to be a fun team to watch in that league. But uh, Minnesota State is also interesting. Sorry, bouncing around here. But Luke Strand, who's the head coach there now, mm-hmm. um, you know, he said over the summer that because they, they, I think they were picked sixth out of eight in the league by the coaches in the pre, you know, those goofy coaches polled. I don't sure. put much faith. in Everyone always uses them for, you know, bulletin board material, but, yeah. you know, um, but in this case, like, you know, we're going to finish sixth over my dead body, which I think a lot of people got a chuckle out of when he said it, but he was dead serious. And uh, since then they've looked pretty good. Uh, I, I was talking to uh, UMass's coach, Greg Carville earlier today. They played them. They beat them twice, but he said that they looked really good, you know? Uh, so he was impressed with Minnesota State. So maybe they won't uh, take as much a step back as we thought. All right. Well, the uh, Mavericks always look good because they got great-looking uniforms, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, St. Thomas is going to be interesting. Augustana, though, they're 2-2 two and two to, to begin the year, and they're one of those teams, I mean, they lost to Wisconsin, but they beat, they swept Bowling Green. Yeah. Uh, baby steps, and I know they can't, They correct me if I'm wrong, they can't play in the tournament at the end of the year. Um, so this is sort of a uh, just a growing, developing year for the program overall. But, hey, you're 2-2. Two and two, to begin, that's a pretty good start. Two years, yeah. The first two years, they won't be eligible for the uh, CCHA tournament, but then after that, yeah, they'll be part of it. I think they are eligible, theoretically, for the NCA tournament, unlike St. Thomas, who moved up from division. I don't know. The gurus are always convoluted to me, Yeah. but uh, I, still, I still never get them straight. But, um, but in any event, yeah, I mean, you know, Two wins over Bowling Green. Bowling Green's had some disarray early on, so sure. know, again, who knows how to take that? But certainly, it's better than not. I mean, great for a first-year program. Their their arena, which is temporary for now, they're playing in the USHL arena until their arena is done uh, in January. But it was hopping for those games, and then they they have the weekend off this weekend. They're coming to Denver the following week, so I'll I'll see them on October 27th. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, get a little better taste. But uh, yeah, they they, uh, they have a lot of road games in the front end because they're they're basically only using the uh, the downtown arena three times mm. until their arena is set to open on January fifth, and then their you know their home games are backloaded. So it might be rough for them, but uh, any any little progress is is great you know at this point. When it comes to the independence, uh, Arizona State, they are undefeated. They're, uh, well, I was going to say 5-0. and One of those was an exhibition, but they're 4-0, uh, swept Merrimack and Northern Michigan. Uh, so, I mean, you can't, you, I suppose you could nitpick within a game how they're playing, but the record, you can't uh, knock them for that. It's perfect. No. I, again, <laughs> the questions, because last year they had a kind of underwhelming year. They, you know, were very disappointing after opening the, Brand new mullet arena. I was down for that, and it was everything was hopping. And, uh, everything was set up. They had a great roster and all that, but very underwhelming season. And again, they had a lot of injuries. So it's like, okay, was it the injuries, or is there something more wrong there? Um, I heard rumors over the course of last year. Oh, there's some guys not happy. Well, all those guys who supposedly were not happy are back. So mm-hmm. whatever those rumors were, were wrong apparently, or at least it was smoothed over because. Um, you know, you're talking about guys like uh, Niedermeyer and uh, now his brothers there. You know, former former NHL players' sons <laughs> were yes. there. Um, there's a few. You know, Josh Doan left, but that was for legit reasons. I mean, that's you know, he he went to sign a pro deal, and that's uh, you know common these days. So sure. you can't you can't say that was any any red flag or anything. So so they come back here, and so far they're healthy. And yeah, I mean that's you know Merrimack and Northern Michigan are supposed to be pretty good teams this year. And they disposed of them pretty 
pretty handily. So, again, remains to be seen. They, their schedule doesn't get really that difficult until the middle of November when they play Denver twice at home. Um, they have a lot of home games. They have a, a tournament uh, that they're going to in Lake Placid, which I'm really hoping to go to. Clarkson, Cornell, UMass, and Arizona State in Lake Placid in the end of December. That's going to be cool. Hmm. And um, they have their own tournament, January 5th and 6th, and a lot of home games in the back end. So they're really set up for success this year. Um, if they don't screw it up, <laughs> they could be right back in the NCAA tournament. So, it's uh, again, the jury's still out. But, uh, they, you know, guys like Matthew Copperud, who came back for his senior year, Lucas Sillinger, that was another one, you know, obviously another former uh, NHL player's son. Uh, they're leading the team in scoring right now, right out of the gate. Uh, you know, again, Jackson and Josh Niedermeyer, they're contributing early on, still, you know, waiting to break out. And then TJ Sampton, Felter, and Nett, yep. who was pretty good last year amid all the turmoil. And this year he comes out, he's got a 952 save percentage out of the gate so far. So, um, if, yeah, as long as they stay healthy, they, I, you know, they're looking like an NCAA, I don't want to jinx them, but, uh, NCAA team is looking, looking, looking pretty good right now so far anyway. Yeah. I like the transfer edition of, uh, Alex Young too, from Colgate. I thought oh, yeah. he was the Raiders best player, uh, for the last couple of seasons, um, outside of arguably their goaltender and Carter Guylander. But I, I wasn't sure where Young would fit into the lineup for, for Arizona state. I watched, uh, some of the, uh, the games, uh, this year, and he seemed like he was maybe third line, whereas he's probably used to playing top line uh, for Colgate. But True. Uh, I know he had a two-point game uh, on the weekend, so maybe uh, getting some more opportunity or things are going right for him. But, yeah, I think the uh, the Sun Devils are going to be a team to watch for this year. I could ask you about individual teams for another hour. Who, yeah. <laughs> who, who has caught your attention, though, uh, early on, good or bad? Boy, I mean... I, but now you're making me think because it's like I feel like I've mentioned all the yeah, I know. interesting ones already. But I'm gonna I'm gonna run run down and see if I can think of anybody else that I haven't mentioned. I'm really waiting, looking forward to the Ivy starting because yeah, um, this weekend Cornell plays Minnesota Duluth at home. Right. Last year they started their season at Duluth. This year they've got two uh, exhibition games under their belt so far. I, this doesn't answer your question because I haven't seen them play yet. But uh, I actually think Cornell is going to be better than people think. Okay. I usually like don't like to jinx. I mean, I have, for people who don't know, I have a long history with Cornell, so they're kind of my team <laughs> if I'm going to have to pick one. And I, I never like jinxing any of my teams in any sport. But uh, I've seen so many people talk about how Cornell is going to take a step back this year that I, just, I feel almost defiant about it. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be right, but I feel like they're going to be a lot better than people. Today. They had a great recruiting class. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on Cornell, even though I haven't seen them play yet. <laughs> What stands out to you about them? Like, what is it about them that you like? I just think that, like, you know, a lot of a lot of teams lose players these days, and then they, yeah, they definitely lost a lot of players. But uh, you know, their goaltender Ian Shane, who I was very on the fence about, you know, for his first year and a half, he came on like gangbusters at the end of last year. Uh, I, I thought he really solidified his game, and to the point where he's now, to me, as assuming that continues, an elite goalie in the ECAC. And so with that back there, I mean, that solves you know part of your problem. Then you bring in a recruiting class with Jonathan Castagna, who's a third-round pick of Arizona, Hoyt Stanley, a fourth-round pick of uh, Ottawa, who's a six-foot-three defenseman. Um, those were the two jewels I got. Ryan Walsh is another one who's done, you know, again, these are exhibition games, but he's been outstanding in the ex- exhibition games so far. He was a sixth-round pick. Of Boston, and I, I think they have enough coming back. Where, oh, look, I w- 
it stinks for Cornell and, you know, the stupid Ivy League rules. They can't have guys like Jack Malone and who went to Boston College and uh, Ben Tupker, who went to uh, Quinnipiac as fifth-year players. They're just not allowed right. by Ivy League rules. And so those guys transferring really kind of it, – it pains me to see Jack Malone playing for, uh, for Boston College this year. But, uh, again, everybody loses players, and I really think they have a really deep, strong team uh, roster coming back. I, I, so I don't know. Uh, I could be completely wrong, but uh, I, I love guys like Nick DeSantis and Andre Janitska, who are, you know, Gabriel Seeger. These are all role. I mean, you know, Cornell is not going to have your first round picks, but I just like their roster top to bottom. I really do. I mean, as long as, as long as the defensemen that are young step up, I mean, that's always the, the tricky part. Uh, I, I, I forgot to mention George Figueres, who's another Fred. He was yes. drafted in two, 2022. Um, that's another guy. And so, you know, these freshmen are, this is one, this is the best it, 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 recruiting got difficult for Cornell, maybe you know, not just Cornell, but the Ivies in general with, the, with COVID and all that probably more so impacted than any other programs in the country. Mm-hmm. The difference is that among the other Ivies, I mean, Cornell was way up at the top and Cornell and Harvard. And uh, it really impacted them a lot. This is, this is a sign that they're back on track in terms of getting that really talented roster they had. So I, I've gone on and on about that, but uh, I, I'm going to re- maybe regret these words at the end of the year. But um, I'm going to I'm going to just be the contrarian and, and, and say I'm really looking forward to them. So uh, again, didn't really answer your question, but uh, that's that's my uh, Cornell tangent. That's all right. I'm going to ask you about Denver, and then we'll let it go after that. But they've got two of the top <laughs> scorers in college hockey right now, with Jack Devine and Massimo Rizzo, both with ten points after just four games. Are they? Top heavy when you look at that roster, or do they have the depth that can that can help them win a national championship again? Yeah, they certainly keep you know they're they're an elite program now, and they keep losing. It's funny because they don't get necessarily the first rounders, but they get a lot of second and third rounders. Yeah, you know they're an elite program. Players come and players go, so um, I think that you're you're going to see uh some of those guys on the third and fourth line supposedly now uh step up i think by the end of the year you'll know who they are you know you may not know them now but uh i think they'll be fine uh matt davis is a solid gold center i know he was like the understudy to magnus krona and you know defensively they still have sean barons uh still have shy byam that's a couple of second round picks right there uh, i don't just like saying second round picks that automatically means they're good i mean those right. guys are legitimate um, so, you know, again, they lost a lot of guys. They got a lot of guys, but, uh, right now it looks crazy because Matt Rizzo and divine, it kind of went off as far as their points. I mean, at 10 and four games, but that doesn't mean that, uh, other people aren't contributing. I mean, if you look down up and down the stat sheet, they had three lines scoring. I mean, just, you know, just because again, those two guys popped out cause they had some ridiculous games. I mean, guys like McCade Webster and, uh, Connor Capone, who's, a uh, you know, a fourth-year guy who's never had more than four goals, but uh, these are guys who I think can play can play big roles. And I think Tristan Brose is going to have a big year. Uh, he had two goals. Uh, he has two goals so far. He scored against Boston College, a big goal against them in a in a huge win mm-hmm. on the road. And they haven't played a home game yet, so Denver's going to be fine. Uh, last year ended in a, with a very sour sour ending. They didn't score their last two games. And uh, I think that's uh, a motivating factor for the guys who came back. 
Well, there's lots to digest uh, with uh, everything that we covered. Uh, Adam, as always, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this, and uh, you know it won't be too long before I call you again. <laughs> you got it, man, anytime. There's Adam Woden from College Hockey News on his thoughts at the opening couple of weeks of NCAA Division One men's hockey. Lots to go through there, and I didn't mean to focus on it, but there's a lot of teams, and I, and I did mention it a few times, that were expected to be really good that have not been good out of the gate. I'm thinking of teams like Michigan Tech and Boston University. What do you think? What are, you, what are the surprise stories for you, good or bad, uh, out of the NCAA so far this year? Hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. We have one more segment to go, and it's a good one. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. His first ranking for the 2024 NHL Draft is out. Let's take a look at that with Sam next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, it's Norris Seider from the Adler Mannheim of Germany. Zwei auf eins, Isis mit Seider und der macht sein erstes Deal-Tor. 5-1, Mannheim, Moritz Seider. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Don, buddy, want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Will Hawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky, because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Now that is a man who has eaten a lot of beef. Hey, it's the final segment on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show. And, of course, it's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky you've ever had. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com and they will ship it to you anywhere, any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. Uh, we're going to end this week's episode looking ahead to the 2024 NHL Draft. And our good friend Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet is back with a brand new year. First ranking for this year. Uh, Sam, uh, thanks for taking the time and, and coming back on the show. How are things? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Guy. It's uh, been a lot of fun to kind of get back, uh, you know, involved in the draft stuff. As you know, I, I, I love it. I always have. I wish, you know, what's what makes it a bit more challenging these days is the fact that I'm not doing CHL games and getting out on the road to see as much as uh, as you'd like. But that just means a little bit more work on the video side of things. So. Mm. It's not all bad, but the the live and in person stuff is uh, is the gold standard, and I wish there was more of it. But uh, you know, as they say, it is what it is. All right, well, let's get right to the numbers and the and the rankings. And I had Cole Eiserman on the show uh, this week as well, a couple segments before yours, uh, and I, I really like everything that everything I've heard about him. Just how great of a natural goal scorer he is. But you've got Macklin Celebrini number one, and I heard you on with Jeff Merrick earlier this week. So you think Celebrini could go wire to wire as the as the number one guy, which I'll be honest, surprised me a little bit. I thought there might be a little bit of back and forth between he and Eiserman. Do you disagree though? Yeah, I, I disagree. I mean, you're looking at uh, a center versus a winger, and you're looking at a guy whose game I think is is entirely complete. And so, you know, Eiserman's big thing, what jumps off the page with him, is his goal scoring ability. Yes, obviously there are other elements to his game, but the thing that pops the most is his goal scoring. I think with Celebrini. 
he scores goals. That's, that's, that's not an issue, but his entire game his complete game, I think is, is more advanced. And I think is, is ahead of where Cole Eisenman's is. And for that reason, plus the fact that he plays center as opposed to wing, I think he's uh, very much in the running to go wire to wire. The the fact that Celebrini is also playing against uh, older, bigger, older, stronger competition right now because he's already at Boston University. Eiserman will be there next year, apparently. Does that help Celebrini's case too? Because he's getting that development at at a higher level this year. Yeah, I, I think so. But I, I I never feel indifferent about players playing against their peer group, which is for the most part what happens with the U.S. Under-18 program because of all the international tournaments they play. Of course, their season wrapping up with the with the world under-18s. Having said that, they still do play, you know, a large portion of their schedule against college. That's true. Um, against college teams and all their competition. So, you know, that that's not to be to be taken lightly, even though it's not a complete schedule the way Celebrini would. Having said that, if you look at, if you divided the schedule in half and said, okay, this guy's playing his entire year against, men in the NCAA I think there's a lot to be said about playing against a lot of competition that's in your age group of the world's best players in your age group from the various countries so I, th- I think this from a schedule perspective you can make an argument that they're that they're equal um, you know some people would disagree with that but if you look at some of your lower level college teams and you look at the, the back end of some of those college teams they're, I don't think they're of equal competition to what you'd see from Sweden's best one through 20 or Finland's best one through 20 or Czechia's or even Slovakia now, um, which is the situation in which the U.S. under-18 program plays a lot of games against internationally, four nations, five nations, and then, of course, the, the, the world under-18. So mm-hmm. um, I'd say from a scheduling perspective, it's probably not as – big a gap for me not a gap at all for some people maybe but not as big a gap as what the general public would perceive and that's a great point actually that uh, with the international schedule that the uh, development program plays as well you get that aspect that not well most players uh, don't get throughout the uh, the regular season uh, i wanted to ask you your, your take on uh, where you do it uh, central scouting does it everybody that puts out rankings seems to do it as well separates the ntdb players from the ushl in their rankings like they specifically mentioned these like cole eiserman he's from the u.s national development program not from the ushl i think everybody does that well except the ushl my theory is because it obviously makes their league look a lot better Uh, why do you think everybody does it why do you do it i do it because i feel that, that usa hockey wants to have the distinction of being its own entity and that it helps promote usa hockey and I have, I have no problem with that uh, whatsoever. And I think, quite frankly, that the NTDP wants it that way because they want the distinction of having, let's say, you know, on average over the last five drafts, 14 players drafted off of their team, whereas if you look at the USHL, mm-hmm. that number is 23 with a lot more numbers. So I, I, I did a breakdown of the last five drafts uh, previous to this ranking, and and so I went through each of the last five years, the players drafted out of each league. It doesn't necessarily mean when you look at the Q, the O, the Dub, or the USHL, that those players are of Canadian or American descent. But when you look at the program, you know that they're all American kids, or at least dual citizens who have chosen to play and represent USA hockey. So the numbers break down like this. 
the Quebec League over the last five years, average per draft, 18.4. The Ontario Hockey League, 30.4. The WHL, 29.8. So you can say 30 between the O and the dub. USHL at 23.2, not including the program. Right. The program averages 14 players off its roster every, uh, on average, over the last five years drafted. So for me, that says a lot that if you're trying to promote the program or you're trying to say to kids of dual citizenship, usually, you know, most of the time that's between American or Canadian, that you're saying, hey, you know, three quarters of our roster is getting drafted. Where as if you look at the USHL and they don't know the percentage in terms of the entire league and how many players are exactly in the league, but you're looking at 23 players per year drafted off of USHL rosters. Mm -hmm. So I think USA hockey wants that distinction. They want to be known as a separate entity as the ones who are truly representative of USA hockey. And for that reason, they keep that distinction. I have no problem with it. I do it. NHL central scouting does it. It's funny, I think if you look at the numbers at the end of the year, when submitted, the USHL does include those players in their group. And why wouldn't you? Because if you total that average up over the last five years, you'd have, to, what is it now, 37 mm -hmm. and a half players, which would best the Ontario League, the Western League, and the, and the QMJHL. But the point that you made to me off, off air was that they only basically play half of their schedule. Uh, against USHL competition. So how can they be included in the league? For me, I think USA Hockey wants that distinction, and they want it known that 14 players a year over the last five years have been drafted specifically as American-born players playing in USA Hockey's top developmental program. I get it. Yep, makes a lot of sense to me. Thanks for that, Sam. I was uh, curious if if uh, you had a, a take on it and uh, you had a lot more to say about it than I, than I did. So I appreciate the insight. Let's get back to the ranking. Um, Ivan Demidov is your number three guy, and I may have butchered that name, uh, coming from St. Petersburg. I noticed there's a lot of Europeans in your top 15 or so, and I know it, that kind of is cyclical. It, it's not necessarily specific to this year or in previous years, but do you get a sense that it's a really good year for Europeans and especially Russians? I think I think Russians for sure, and it's interesting. And and, and again, I, I just want to refer to that, you know, to that chart that I had made over the last five years. We had 21 Russians or players playing in the Russian league right. drafted last year. It was 20 the year before. It, it peaked um, in in 21 at 27, and in 20 when we had the the pandemic, it was as low as 18. Um, so you know, those numbers tend to to drift up and down but the way i look at it this year is i think that people feel a little bit more confident a in their ability to get some high level people over there although that's a hush hush type of thing mm -hmm. and combined with the fact that based on the numbers we saw last year the people that are over there scouting for nhl teams the teams and the general managers and the head scouts have a lot of confidence in the people doing the job over there. And in some cases, and in a lot of cases, actually, it may not necessarily be someone who's listed on the website as an official scout, but in a lot of cases, it's a player who played in the organization, a player who's affiliated with the organization, but isn't quote necessarily on the payroll, hmm. um, a player who has National Hockey League experience, who maybe the general manager or the head scout has had a relationship. They played together 
They worked in a different organization together. And I think those connections are being tapped more so than ever before. So now you have your scouts based in Russia, the ability for some people to get over there and to watch live. Plus you have varying opinions from former NHL players that are back home in Russia that have some sort of an allegiance to a person or an organization in which they've been associated with in the past. And for that reason, I think you're seeing, um, you know, the numbers up in this year's draft. Having said that, you know, there's some guys when you watch on video, Salayev, who we'll talk about a little later on. I mean, he's a six, seven defenseman who's got great KHL numbers. So if I didn't look at one piece of video and I looked at a guy who's six, seven, who's a left shot defenseman who is putting up, you know, half a point per game numbers in the KHL, those two things right there would say to me, oh, we have a prospect on our hands. Because in comparison to what's happened at the U20 or U18 defenseman in that league, that it doesn't happen to the extent in which Sileyev has produced, plus his size. So, that, you know, and you watch Demidov, who we're, we're talking about here as my third-ranked player. Like, this guy's electric. He picks up the puck and you know, when we watched Mitchkov on video, we saw, oh, wow, this guy's electric. Look at the things he's done. We did have some contacts from the 2021 under-18s that were in Texas. So we did have some live in-person viewings and some context as to what it looked like against uh, worldly competition. Right. But sometimes in just watching video, someone just jumps off the page. All right. Well, he's from St. Petersburg. If he was from Peterborough instead, <laughs> would we be talking more like would he be higher? Or is, do we still have the Russian factor with air quotes and saying that? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think you're getting higher than that. Like I, you know, I really am a strong believer in Celebrini as being that guy. I'm a strong believer in Eiserman and his talents and, and what he's proven at, you know, the U seventeen and U eighteen levels to this point in his career that uh, it looks to me like that's gonna be the one two thing. Mm -hmm. But I do believe in terms of the Russian factor that, you know, Demidov sits there at number three right now. But I do believe that there is an opportunity for that change and part of the reason is because of that Russian factor and, and meaning he's a player that may end up, you know, going down the list a little bit as opposed to up. I don't think there's any room, at least in my initial ranking, for him to go up. Sam, it's supposed to be a good year to, for defensemen, and looking at your ranking, it seems to bear that out. I think seven of your top 14 are blue liners. Uh, the first one coming in with uh, Artem Levshunov, who's playing at Michigan State this year, the Belarusian. Uh, it, it really does seem like it's a good year for defensemen. It is. And, you know, like the, these things happen cyclically. So it's kind of neat to see that, you know, last year, I think we had seven or eight go in the first round. I would expect that number to be easily into the double digits this year. And it's just a cyclical thing. I think one other, other factor that plays into this key is that if, if you're looking at the two uh, most difficult positions to develop, their goaltender and their defense. And when you're talking about the players up until this draft and even to a small extent in this draft, the players that have been affected by the pandemic, whether it be in minor hockey or their first years at the junior hockey level, um, still has a slight impact there. And I think because that has been mitigated, because of how far away we are from that, now we're starting to see players in those positions emerge once again. And I think this year in particular, we're seeing it with the defensive. And three OHL guys in amongst that top seven that I was talking about with uh, Sam Dickinson from London, Zane Parekh from uh, Saginaw, and uh, and uh, Henry Muse from the Ottawa 67s, who is also on the show 
about 10 days ago now. Um, so it, it is definitely a good crop of defensemen. It's also a good crop of WHLers, which I didn't expect really coming into this season because we'd heard so much about how last year was the banner year for the dub, and it was a very good year, obviously starting at the top. But you've got, I think, seven or eight guys in your top 32 right now. Did that almost surprise you too? Because it did surprise me. It, it did a little bit. Um, and, you know, watching some of these guys, uh, you know, last year and making some calls and so on, as it, you started to go through the list, you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? This player deserves to be there. Um, I, I think in October rankings, there's a little bit of fool's gold there because the regular season, at least in the CHL, is about three to four weeks old. So there's still a lot to be determined. And, you know, if you look at, at, at Tarek Persak, for example, in Prince George, I mean, his numbers jump right off the page. And so at that point, I put him at 32 on the list because, hey, for a guy who what, had five or six games the, the year previous, to jump out to that kind of, of start, and, you know, 12 goals in his first six or seven games or whatever it was, I mean, I, I think that deserves a little respect just from a, a pure numbers perspective. And oftentimes, you know, as maybe a little tip to your listeners or whatever, I use that 32 spot to just, hey, bring someone's name up who might not have ever been in the conversation and whose name may never well go back into the conversation. Right. But having said that, if you look at every draft, there's always that surprise player, not necessarily at 32, but the fact that they are inside the top 32, I think is deserving sometimes of, you know, some write-ups or recognition or eye-opening or conversation starters with players, Parasak being, for me, at least in the October rankings, as that guy, uh, you know, in at 32. So you get the surprise guy in there every once in a while. You'll get some guys in there um, that that definitely deserve it based on what we saw in the summer at the Lenka and the early parts of the season, you know, the Berkeley captains of the world, that, that sort of thing. Um, and so right now that number seems to be what I think will probably project to be pretty close at the end of the year in terms of dub players uh, going in round one. Apologize, I'm going to put you on the spot. There's a player in Edmonton uh, named Adam Yeko, uh, who's uh, yep. an import player, listed at six five and two hundred and five pounds right now. He's he's a man. I walked by him uh, at the rink. He's a he's a big kid already. I, I wonder if how far outside of your top thirty two he might be. I've seen Central Scouting's uh, list come out, and uh, they've got him as an A player. So I know he's got to be at least in the conversation for sure. And so I don't, I don't, you know, my list doesn't, it gets to about 35 or 37 guys in my initial list. He wasn't there, but it's also, it's great fodder that sometimes you're guided by what happens in central scouting. Sometimes you're guided by what you hear in conversations. And in fact, I had a conversation. I was at uh, a game Saturday in Mississauga and ran into uh, an AGM uh, from a team who said, Hey, here's, here's two kids that I think you should pay attention to or go have a look at or right. maybe you haven't, you know, aren't on your list. Um, and so Yako would be, be one of those guys here when we look to the, uh, to the November rankings for sure. So that will require some, some video work, a couple of phone calls, uh, out to your, uh, to your home province there and some people I'm sure that, that you know to get a little bit more insight. Um, and, and at that point, uh, we'll see what happens come November. Uh, last year uh, was a good year for goaltenders. We don't see any goaltenders ranked in the first round right now. Um, is is it a is it a down year, or is it just a, one of those years where maybe in the midterm rankings we start seeing these guys start to emerge? Yeah, I think I think they'll start to emerge. And I know the one guy right off the top of my head right now is Ryerson Leanders. 
right? Uh, who plays in Mississauga. Their team is off to a great start. They're a young team. I think they're exceeding expectations right now. But watching Ryerson live the, the other day, I was like, wow. Uh, Carson Rakoff of Kitchener had a breakaway. He's a second-round pick, uh, NHL pick from last year. And this is just one example of what I saw. He just forced Rakoff into making the first move. So he was just like so calm, had a large portion of the net covered, even though he's not the biggest guy. I think he checks in at six foot or six foot and a half, um, you know, maybe 175, 180 pounds. But I love the efficiency in his movement. I loved how calm he was, how poised he was under siege against the, uh, you know, a Kitchener team that had come into Mississauga, Roland as the top team in the Western Conference. Uh, and he was unfazed. And in fact, took a shutout right into the, third period and I think it was seven or eight minutes left the Kitchener ended up breaking the shutout but Leanders was was full value so he's a guy that I have my eye on right now um, and I think always Guy, when it comes to goalies you're, you're talking about teams with multiple picks and, and that's something that as the year goes on trades are made trade deadlines so on and so forth we get a better sense into you know into into March what it's going to look like uh, in terms of the draft board and what teams are going to end up with multiple picks. Sam, as always, this has uh, been terrific. Your rankings always uh, one that I gravitate to for sure. What do you have coming out at Sportsnet.ca or on television? Yeah, we're uh, we're going to continue to follow the draft guys here, and, and you know, get on the video and get out to many games as many games as possible, and uh, going to continue to track that. Um, this week uh, had the big day yesterday, so in studio for a little bit there on Tuesday. We'll be back in studio Thursday. And then I'll be back in the in the booth for the first time this year, uh, Pittsburgh, Montreal, and Hockey Night in Canada. So nice. looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. So, you know what, Guy, I'm pretty lucky. I have uh, some studio work, some in-booth work, and the draft work, which, uh, as you know, I, I really love. And, and those three combined uh, make for a full-time gig for sure. Sam, I really appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the season, and we'll uh, chat again soon. Okay, Guy, sounds good. And maybe off the record, we'll talk about Yeko and see what you got going there. Great insight, as usual, from Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. Really appreciate uh, him making the time. He's super busy these days, doing a lot of NHL stuff, always keeping tabs on the CHL and uh, the NHL draft. Just really busy. So uh, appreciate him taking some time, once again, for the Pipeline Show. He's been coming on the program for well over a decade now. Must be 17, 18 years that uh, he's been a, a contributor Frequent contributor, at least. I know there were times when, of course, we were on TSN in Edmonton, and he being a Sportsnet guy, there was a, a, a time for about five, six years where we actually couldn't get him on, but still would be a guy when he and uh, Pete Labardius or he and RJ Broadhead would come to town to uh, do a CHL game, an Oil King game on TV. We'd either meet post game or we'd uh, talk at the rink or pregame, maybe the day before. Never lost contact with uh, with, with Sammy. Certainly saw him a lot at the 2014 Memorial Cup with the Oil Kings there. Just a really, really good guy. What are your thoughts on his rankings and the rankings this week from NHL Central Scouting? You know what I kind of noticed? I, I talked to Sam about and I said it looks like a really good year for Euros and, and specifically for Eastern Europeans like the Russians. So I think about it more, I think there's only one Swede in his top 32. And that sounds like it's a down year for Sweden. Might have to delve into that a little bit more as the season goes on. See if that is, in fact, the case and uh, why that might be. Just a cyclical thing. Anyway, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. All four guests that you heard this week were outstanding. And patrons got to hear all of those interviews the same day or maybe the next day 
as after they occurred by going to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. What's Patreon? It's just a way for creators like myself to have an avenue where listeners, people who believe in the show, people who listen to the pipeline show, some of some listeners have been supporters through Patreon for five or six years now, which is outstanding. I honestly I could not do the show without the support from patrons. And if you're interested, seven day free trials. Maybe you just want to give it a test and see what it's like. You'll have instant access to over 800 interviews that are archived from over the last five or six seasons. It only costs you a couple of bucks a month. Even less if you do it on an annual basis because you get a 10% discount. I don't know. If you're curious, just take a seven-day free trial. Outside of that, here locally, Friday night, St. Albert Merchants are in action. I'm the public address announcer for their games when I'm not doing Oil King games. The Oil Kings will be on the road on Friday. They're in Medicine Hat. Saturday, they are back home. So I will be down at Rogers Place with Andrew Peard. Nick Merrick and the Portland Winterhawks will be in town. That is going to be a tough game for Edmonton. Of course, they play back-to-back for them because they're in Medicine Hat. So there's six or seven hours travel through the night to get back from that game. Medicine Hat's going to be a tough opponent. They're playing really good hockey. uh, But Portland is the number one team in the league. And Edmonton right now is 21st in a 22-team league. So definitely a tough test for Edmonton. Then on the near horizon, I know they've got Moose Jaw, and I think they've got Medicine Hat again. So it really doesn't get any easier for Edmonton here over the next uh, four or five games. Next week on the program, lots of ideas, but no guests confirmed at the moment. So I'll be doing that over the next day or two. And that's something else that I often do for patrons is uh, give them a heads up on who's coming on the next episode of the program so that uh, patrons can submit questions for guests. Just another little perk. Anyway, between now and next week, get out and watch some junior college hockey if you can so that we can talk about it right here on The Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And my name is Guy Flaming. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya. See ya.